FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 93 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked! We're your host, Jason and Denise Venable, Woo-hoo. and it's three months to die. Dun, dun, dun! That's right. But before we get to this episode's comics... Uh-huh. We finally got to go see Days of Future Past in the movie theater. Finally. I know, right? After so many hijacked date nights. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the life of needing a babysitter. Yes. Yep. So, anyway, we're going to talk about it a little bit. We are. We are. What, what were your overall thoughts? Flippin' awesome. Yes, I loved it. Um, I don't even really know what to say, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> It's definitely different from the comic. Obviously, it involves the movie characters more than the 1981 uh, comic characters. But um, I think it stays true to the spirit of the story. I think so, too. And I think, um, you know, looking back on it, they there's some characters that aren't there. And I think for people who hadn't ever read the comic, it made sense to not have them there. Well, yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't really matter, honestly, because this movie was so good. Yeah. And such uh, a nice next installment on the X-Men movie franchise that really, at this point, the comics don't even matter to the movie. I mean, they matter in that you want to stay true to the characters, but like, there's so much already laid in the foundation of the, of the cinema movie-verse that... Right. Then you just build on that and keep going. I will um, say, I loved the character development. Yes. Yeah. So, um, all right, so basically, the basic, basic, basic plot of the movie is that there's a future in this bleak and kind of looks like the Matrix. <laughs> um, the Matrix, like the real world in the Matrix, not the Matrix world, obviously. Um, but anyway, the Sentinels who have adaptive powers, are basically uh, taking over the world and um, killed all the mutants or anybody that, that likes mutants. Right. And um, is rounding everybody up. And well, and they started, the Sentinels were now able to sense who would have a mutant. Yes. Or who was, who carried a mutant gene where they may not be a mutant themselves, but they would have offspring. Right. That we're going to have mutant powers. And so they were just basically eradicating right. everyone. Now, in theory, if you sleep with the mutant, everybody could have a mutant. So they should just kill everybody, right? I think that's kind of what they were doing. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so basically it's, uh, what is it, Warpath? That can, can sense the Sentinels are coming. Yes. And so every time they get attacked, they go back in time to before that attack or something like that, right? Right. But now they decide the only way to fix this is to go all the way back and prevent the inciting incident. Which is Mystique actually not killing someone but getting caught. 
Well, right? she does kill somebody. She kills right. Bolivar Trask, played by Peter Dinklage. But yes, she does get caught after the assassination, and her DNA genes, her DNA, are what is kind of added to the Sentinel program that allows them to adapt and basically become where they can't be defeated by the mutants. Well, and I think we need to point out that these Sentinels just don't shoot guns or missiles or anything. They um, they kind of take on whatever mutant power yes. they're uh-huh. fighting and basically can hurt the mutant through their own power. And I will say there's two different scenes where a metal colossus gets torn up. Yes. That's pretty sweet. No, I, like, I hate to see Colossus die. But um, anyway, basically the X-Men decide they have to send somebody's consciousness back and protect the body before the Sentinels get there. Right. And they're kind of talking about it and they decide it's, it's too risky that even if someone were to be sent back, their consciousness might not survive the trip. Yeah, don't they describe it like a rubber band? Yeah, like it would, yeah something like that. They say that Professor X is the best choice to go, but he might not live. And Wolverine says, ooh, ooh, me, me. Yeah, because the healing my mind, factor. Yeah, it applies to my mind, too, so I can I can do this. And so they kind of reluctantly send Wolverine back to himself. And he wakes up in the 70s. We're picking up after first class, which was the end of the 60s. Yes. So Wolverine, um, it's funny, he wakes up in the past and... Uh, He's, he's in a fight with some mob guys, and he, he pops his claws, and he's ready to go at it. He's like, oh, shit. He looks down, and they're all bone, they're bone claws. Yeah. And it's before he uh, got adamantium. Well, and we do have a full so backle. Or how would you? Full backle. <laughs> it's not a yes. full frontal. You get some huge jackass. Yeah. Um, if it's not a butt double, it might have been a butt double, for all I know. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> so Wolverine's like, oh, it's going to be this kind of party, huh? And so he's got his, his bone claws. And he basically, he has to go find Professor X and Magneto and convince them that to work together because he's telling the truth and they have to stop Mystique. And that's but, easier said than done. Yeah, because what he doesn't realize is Professor X, in order to walk again, has used the Beastie Mystique formula and is basically shooting it like heroin. Yes. And it allows him to walk, but he's lost his powers. And then consequently lost his school. So it's just him and Beast hanging around, I don't know, well, circle jerking or something. I don't know what they're doing in there. From but. what I understood, um, shortly after he started the school, Mystique left. She decided to well, no, go No, Mystique off. left at the end of first class. Right, but he, that was sort of the beginning of his downfall. Well, yes, getting paralyzed was... <laughs> yeah. He did not uh, adapt very well to that situation. So anyway, Mystique was running around with Magneto, but we find out that Magneto was being held for assassinating JFK. Oops. I actually thought that was pretty brilliant. I did too. I like how they were like, how do you know it was him? Magic bullet. Right. Who else could do it? So I thought that part was pretty cool. So anyway, basically they find Quicksilver and they use him to get Magneto out of a completely plastic prison Buried way under the middle of the Pentagon. Concrete. Yeah, concrete. That part was really cool. Uh, what did you think of Quicksilver? I loved his uh, 
that scene where he's running around the kitchen. Yes. It's awesome. It's, he's He's got a little bit of smartassery. He's very much a smartass. And he's kind of just, oh, I like the way that it's not just that he's super fast, but that like our world is just so slow to him. Right. Uh, he's just bored. He's got massive mutant ADD. Well, and it's like he's got packages of stuff that he's stolen, but it's it's not like he's used it. No, it's just sitting there. He's not yeah. selling it. He's not. <laughs> no, it's like I'm bored. <laughs> that scene, yeah, where where he and he like moves the bullets so they don't hit anybody, and he like puts everything because the way like he shapes like when he moves the the cops the security guards' arms. Yeah. So he moves it real slow, but when things go back to like regular speed. They punch themselves. Right. It's like really their arm moves so fast and I don't even know what happened. Yeah. But to Quicksilver, it's like, oh, no, 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 and just run Well, and I love the song they played. Yes. Like he puts, he turns on his uh, headphones, which, so for him to move that fast and for us to hear that much song. (laughs) Oh, that was for our benefit, not his. Yeah. But I do love sort of the. um, Or maybe he's playing it on high speed dub, the Chipmunks version. Uh, no, but I kind of like the, um, I guess the reality of it. Like he puts on goggles. Yes. You know, so. And you see his cheeks, like he has G-force. Yeah. Like Which I actually love that level of realism. Yes, and that was pretty cool. Because had they not done that, I would, I don't think it would have been as cool. Yeah, no, I agree. What do you think of, it's been a, it's been funny because the overall response is that Quicksilver was a highlight of the movie, but people have been really critical of his wardrobe. Why? And he just didn't like the way it looked. That it was, didn't really fit the time period. And uh, I, mean, I think it kind of does. He just is David Bowie. I mean, yeah. So I, I just thought it was think okay. He, instead of being like 70s groovy, he, yeah, was, he was just like the like, space opera. Yeah. Yeah. Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, I, I thought it was fun. Yeah, so basically they free Magneto and Wolverine somehow convinces them to uh, work together. Magneto kind of reluctantly agrees that he'll do it. So basically they track down Mystique at the World Peace Summit. That's where she's going to assassinate Bolivar Trask, who has failed at getting the U.S. government to adopt his Sentinel program. Right. Because they don't really believe the mutants are a threat. Nope. And then she tries to kill everybody, and um, Magneto decides that, you know, it's not enough to stop her, that she's not going to listen. He's just going to take her out. Right. And then we don't have to worry about it. And then no one gets their hands on her material. <laughs> Which is a very um, Magneto thing. Yes. Yeah, he kind of, he kind of, he goes along with a plan until it's action time, and then he does what he wanted to do all along. Right. Yeah, that's very Magneto. Um, but his plan goes awry uh, when Professor X tries to stop him, and Mystique gets away, but she gets shot. So she's weaving DNA all over the place. Right. But everybody gets away. Wolverine has a freak out because he sees um, striker. a young striker, and it kind of messes up his mind which almost kills him in the future. Yes. His mind gets so messed up, and he pops his claws, and he cuts Kitty. Yeah. He's, like, holding him, holding him together. 
And so she's struggling. Beast goes after Magneto. Yeah, and, and they have so, a big fight, and it's film, and it's worldwide breaking news. Yeah, mutants it, do exist. Yeah, and, and they're horrible, and they yeah. cause all kinds of trouble. So Nixon's like, all right, well, sign us up for the Sentinels. Yeah. And then Bolivar Trask gets Mystique's DNA. So that allows him to actually accelerate, adding that to the Sentinel program. Right. After this uh, display of mutant power, quote-unquote mutant terrorism, uh, Nixon decides to play ball. And the price went up. Yes, and the price went up. So now Mystique's on the run. Uh, Wolverine convinces Professor X that he needs his powers back. So he quits taking his little drug, and his powers come back, and he tries to use Cerebro. And blows a fuse. He blows a fuse, but then they eventually get it back up and running. And Wolverine basically says, all right, you need to get over, you like your hurdles, you need to get over like your self-pity. He goes, we're old friends, look at my mind. And he sees all Wolverine's memories like, whoa, you're one yeah. effed up dude. Yeah. <laughs> but he says, look past that. And so, <laughs> and so he does, and he sees, and then he actually has a conversation with his future self. Yes. Which was a highlight in the movie for me. And they basically tell him, you know, I don't remember exactly the speech, but he basically gives him a pep talk. And basically one of those typical, it's our pain that makes us who we are kind of speeches. Which is true, and it was a good version of it. And so young Charles, young Professor X, kind of kicks his own ass into gear after that. And he relies on what he learned from his future self and from Wolverine's friendship. And basically um, he finds Mystique. And he tries to get her to come home, quote-unquote. But Magneto also finds her. And they both kind of... So everyone's kind of running away from each other at this point. They're all, like, repelled. They're no longer on the same track. So Magneto, he decides, he sees... He finds the uh, shipment of the Sentinels. And he, in a really cool scene, he basically lifts up the rail ties behind him. Yeah, so the Sentinels are traveling on a train. Yeah. So he's standing on the edge, like the back end, the caboose of the train. Right. And he's like lifting up the rail ties behind him. So the train doesn't get messed up. But he basically takes all that metal and inserts it into the Sentinels, which the Sentinels intentionally had no metal. Right. So that Magneto couldn't manipulate them. Right. And it's cool because you see the the railroad ties like splinter. Right. Yeah. Like a, it. It yes. almost looks like it's a Twizzler. Yeah. Yeah. I just these little tiny shards. Yeah. And he puts some metal in the Sentinels, but in like, like in their arms, like yeah, when you can't see it. Yeah. So it's undetectable. Like no one would notice a change. It's just little slivers of metal here and there, so he can do what he wants to with it. And so basically, uh, Nixon and Trask are gonna have a press release at the White House to announce the Sentinel program. Uh, Mystique decides. This is where she's going to assassinate Trask again. Right. And um, but Magneto. Well, and, and I don't know if it's important, but the whole reason why she's after Trask to assassinate him is because he mutilated and butchered. Yes, all her friends. Yeah. Like from, the, from, like from first class and then some like the, the brotherhood, yeah. I guess you would say. Yeah, Angel and. Yeah, Angel the movie girl, Angel that looks like Pixie. Yeah. And not Angel. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the Storm the storm guy and uh, Azazel, they're all, they're all yeah. vivisected and dissected and all that. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of her motivation for killing Trask. 
But then Magneto shows up and basically lifts up RFK Stadium. <laughs> In a very awesome scene. Yes. And surrounds the White House with it. And, and instead of the Sentinels, like, attacking mutants, he makes them, like, basically attack the press and everybody that's there. Right. And then they guard Sentinel over the stadium. Magneto's going to have a little talk, a little powwow with the president. And in a very cool scene, so the president and everyone has run into like a bunker, underground bunker. Right. And Magneto just rips it out of the ground. Yeah. But, well, Mystique's in there as a security guard. Actually, yeah, as yeah, a, like a, security, a security secret guard. service. And the thing Trask has is he has this little mutant pocket detector. Yes. And it starts going off and he's like, there's a mutant in here with us. But it doesn't really matter because Magneto opens it all up. And so Mystique, instead of trying to kill the president, she disguises herself as the president and basically goes out to Magneto and basically volunteers to, like, makes the president look good. Right. And volunteers to kill herself, like, have herself killed. Yeah, he basically says, if you're going to destroy the human race, you can start with me. Right, right. Which, of course, completely throws Magneto's plans completely out of whack. Right. And um, does he get, I'm having trouble remembering, does he get beat or does he just leave? No, she shoots him. That's right. She she takes one of the plastic guns. That's right, that's right, that's right, yeah. And she shoots him in the neck. And he says, used to be a better shot. And she says, I still am. That was pretty badass. Yeah, because um, she just nicks him. Right. Like in the on the side, but it's just enough for him to like stun him. Right. So basically, Magneto leaves. Professor X and Wolverine, or I'm sorry, Wolverine got tossed into the ocean. Well, Magneto rips out some oh, of yeah, the iron. In the concrete yeah, from the, the stadium and basically right, sticks it all through Wolverine. Yeah, like, a, like it's a needle and thread. Yeah. And sews it all through him and then dumps him into the lake or yeah. the river or whatever it is. Right. All right, so then all the X-Men get away. Uh, Nixon says, you know what? We're not going to hunt down mutants. There's some good ones, I guess. Or, right. you know, whatever. So he puts the kibosh on the Sentinel program. And we go to the future, and it doesn't really save everybody. Everybody still kind of dies. But then the Sentinels disappear, and our heroes also disappear. Yes. Signifying that whole future is done away with. Yep. So then at the end, Stryker pulls Wolverine out of the water. But we see yellow eyes. Ooh. It's Mystique is Stryker, which throws open a lot of questions. Um, lots of questions. Lots of questions. And then we go to the present future. Yeah. And Wolverine wakes up and he's, and they told him this when they sent him. They said, you'll be the only one that remembers everything. Right. And he wakes up and all his ex-friends are alive. Older Beast is alive. Scott and Jean are alive. And he goes, and Professor X somehow remembers something. I guess from the maybe the conversation he had with himself. He kind of got a hint of what the, the alternate future was. Well, I think between that and looking at Wolverine, like, if you came to me and said, hey, I'm from the future. Right. So at some point, my future conscience is going to go away. Then... But in like 50 years, I'm going to wake up in a stupor. Right. You need to just fill me in. And so I think basically Professor X has been waiting and waiting yeah. for this day. And he says, welcome back, old friend. Yeah. All right. So that's basically the basic plot. Uh, where, 
All right, so one of the highlights to me was when uh, Wolverine tries to get Professor X's help. Professor X goes, you know what? Several years ago, we tried to recruit you. And I'm going to tell you the same thing you told me back then. Go F yourself. So I thought that was great. Because that's one of my favorite cheesy scenes. Or not cheesy. I guess it's not cheesy, but whatever. It's one of my favorite kind of unimportant scenes in first class. And, um... I thought it was a really nice callback. I thought uh, getting to see the two Professor X's talk to each other was really cool. Yeah. Um, All right, so I got to say my personal opinion here. Okay. I love the way Ian McKellen has portrayed an older, distinguished Magneto. Yes. He brings a complexity to the character that the character needs. He brings kind of a like a gray, not just gray hair, but like the gray area that is a modern day Magneto. Right. And did an awesome job with it. That said, Fastbender doesn't just play a really good Magneto. He, he owns is. Magneto. Yes. Every frame he was on screen in this movie was completely badass. Yes. And we got to see some of the coolest use of his powers ever. Yes. And it was just, man, it was just, it was great. And Fastbender is just, I'm just saying he is my second favorite ex-actor behind Jackman. Oh, okay. So, I mean, like, he most inhabits the role. Because Jackman, in this one, as he has in every movie, even the ones that weren't as great, he's always completely nailed Wolverine. Yes. Like, completely. He is Wolverine. Yes, he is. And Fastbender is, is killing it with Magneto as well. Yeah. And I think everybody else did a good job. So that's not to take away from the other other actors. They all no. they're all great. But I just felt like he just it's just it's another level. I will say the actor who played um Xavier, young Xavier James McAvoy McAvoy how do you say his name? I forget his name. Anyway, I I enjoyed seeing that side of Professor X. That I'm not the cool cucumber that I was portrayed to be in the first one. Right. And that I, you know, the older me is in all the other movies. Right. I loved his like, this is me. I'm hurting. It's raw. Right. But you well, also see where he he does get his composure from. Yeah. Well, and it's truer to the comic character, too, because Patrick Stewart never really had this. He was always, like, a pretty good guy. Right. In the comic, Professor X is overall a good guy and a hero, but he has a whole lot of dick moments. Yes. And this guy... Yeah, but he does. He has his... He has his dick moments, and that fits Professor X, because in the words of Kitty Pryde, Professor X is a jerk. In the comic book, Mystique kind of comes on and is just, I'm going to do this, and... I really enjoy. He's kind of a take charge badass, and I right. thought and Jennifer Lawrence portrayed that in this movie as well. Yes, she did. But what I loved was the character development that got her there. When she goes to Trask's office and she finds the file on the Sentinels and the mutated or uh, mutilated mutants, right? And you she know, she starts crying. She starts crying, and and she has. Both with Magneto and with Xavier, she has these um, dialogues with them about they're killing us. Like, we're just next on the list. And so you just see that development of, like, I wouldn't do this, but I, my, she felt like her hand was being forced. Right. Well, I like that she recognized that both of them were trying to manipulate her and she was trying to find, like, a third option to their, because they're always kind of seen as, like, the two, 
puppet masters. visionaries of like yeah. the mutant issue. Like your Professor X, your peaceful, your cohabitation. The yin and yang. Yeah. Magneto's like, nope, we're better. We're going to protect ourselves violently if necessary. Right. I feel like Mystique, while motivated by revenge, was really just trying to... She was almost like just the middle ground. Like, let's, we just need to get by. Like, what do we need to do to survive? Like, how do we, right. how do we find our place? And maybe neither of you were right. Well, and, and I, I kind of like, what is it, the first one? When she talks about being mutant and proud... Yes. But in when she the first time she says it, she actually says it in a mocking tone. Right. Like, I can't be proud of being a mutant. And by the end of that movie, she is proud. Right. And by the end of this movie, you know, it's like she has she's coming into her own camp. Instead of being plopped into an Xavier camp or a Magneto camp, she's kind of just coming up with her own camp. Right. And I I thoroughly enjoyed that part. We see Wolverine in the present day, and we see all the changes to all the characters. Noticeably absent, he does not pop his claws when we get back to the present. So we do not know if he has adamantium claws. Right. Because if Mystique is now Stryker, does she subject it? Like, is she the one that puts him through Weapon X? Or is he spared all of that now? Uh, I did find it a little bit annoying, too, they didn't even address the end of the last Wolverine movie, where he got his adamantium stripped from his claws and his claws broken off, and they grew back. Right. Or, I'm sorry, no. The adamantium wasn't stripped. The guy used his little laser sword and cut, cut him off. And then his bone claws grew back, but there was no adamantium on him. So they don't even Did talk about that, because in the future he has completely adamantium claws. And they don't say, like, I, I just would have liked a little nod, like, oh, Magneto gave me my claws back. Yeah. You know, just something to kind of acknowledge that this happened. I mean, it is a little bit different because that movie is supposed to be years after X3, but not right. as far ahead as the mutant apocalypse future. Oh, sorry. Can't say apocalypse. That's the next movie. Um, but anyway, I just thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting, too, but... And I know you told me that his hair is a wig, but... I did not like his little gray wispies, white wispies. Yeah, but it fits the art from Days of Future Past in the comic. And I I got it and I liked it for the intro because it gave you a sense of time. But when he goes back, like it's Yes, at that the end is time. weird because it's like he's aged and got this gray hair, but nobody else is old enough to have aged the same amount of time. Exactly. Because obviously Wolverine ages much slower than everybody else. So it was he if he if he has gray hair now everybody else should be dead. Right. <laughs> From old age. Xavier is not still wheeling around. Yeah. So what do you think of the whole mystique as striker at the end? All right, so basically this movie we kind of pulled a JJ uh, Abrams Star Trek and basically gave the option of rebooting the whole X-Men franchise. See, okay, so we had that conversation when we left because you had used the exact same analogy. Yeah. But I don't see how it's, a, like, how are we rebooting? Are well, we, we don't know. I mean, they can go back and retell the gaps. But we don't know what of the, of the original movies happened and what didn't. Okay, but it's not really a reboot if they go back and fill in the gaps of stuff that hasn't already happened. See, because, I guess, yeah, because it's not, it won't be the same story. Well, okay, but I guess what I'm trying to say is when you compare it to J.J. Abrams, like he took the second Star Trek 
Like he took that whole con storyline. Kind of. And but he put his own twist on it. You know, he did the whole flipperoo yes. at the end. So right. he he took pieces from the movie. I guess when yeah. you compare that, I keep thinking they're going to go back to like well, when no, Magneto. A reboot, right, a reboot doesn't have to be a remake. It basically just starts the universe over. And so for all intents and purposes, the X-Men universe is different than what we had in the original movies. And the timeline, the history is not the same. Wolverine even says, you have to tell me, you have to give me like a history lesson because I don't know what's going on right now. Yes, but I will say that, what is it, Hank tells everyone, it doesn't matter, like, time is like a, a river. Yes, or and, a pond. and his theory in this movie is that the river's going to go where it goes regardless. If you put an obstacle, it'll eventually either wash it over or go around it. So you can't really change destiny. He's a very predetermined, predestiny kind of philosophy. Well, but something changed because Professor X died he's alive scott and gene are alive right um beast older beast is alive all these people died in x3 right so i mean yeah obviously the history is different how much of it is different we don't really know no anyway i don't know if they'll go back and figure that out or what what they'll do but so is there anything greenlit for so Apocalypse, which will be the next movie, is supposed to take place in the 80s. So we're obviously going backwards again and retelling some sort of history. Okay, but Apocalypse is the oldest known mutant, right? He's the first mutant in the comics, yes. Okay, because at the end of the movies, there's a yes, trailer. Yes, that's our, our little little post credit scene is all these people chanting, Im Nur, Im Nur, which is Apocalypse's... Egyptian name, and he's basically using his powers to uh, build the pyramids. Instead of uh, using slave labor, like we were taught by history, Right. he's basically doing it with his powers. And off in the distance, we see his four horsemen, which was badass. Oh, I missed that. You didn't miss it. You may not realize what you were seeing. But when they pan to the side of Apocalypse, because like, they start with his back. Right. And they go around to the front as he's building this pyramid. And then off to his his left on that sanding were the four guys on horses. Uh-huh. Those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh. So that was pretty badass. It was a nice little uh, nugget for, for the comic fans. Well, anything else you want to talk about? I mean, you don't want to do the whole podcast about the movies, so. No. no, I really enjoyed it, and I think, I want to say, I haven't met a single person that hasn't liked it. So if you haven't no. gone to see it. All right. So one thing me and Cameron have been talking about, and we'll get Cameron's official opinion on it next time he's on a flashback episode. But one of the things we were talking about is, is this the best X-Men movie? Ooh. And I got to say, it's it's in the running. Yeah. I need, we're about, <clears throat> spoiler alert again, episode 100 is coming up on the podcast that goes Nick. Ooh. And when we get there, we're going to do another movie commentary. We're going to do X2. Two. Now, to, in my memory, I've not seen X2 in a while. In my memory, that and First Class are very close together with X2 getting the slight edge. For me right now, having not seen X2 in a while... <coughs> I'm going to say Age of Apocalypse and X2 are tied. When we rewatch X2, I'll say whether which one's my favorite. Is X2 the chick with the nails that grow? Yes, Lady Deathstrike. Okay. Played by Kelly Hugh. 
Okay. I had a ginormous crush on when that movie came out. So yeah, so we'll see. But it's definitely one, it's definitely the running to me. So I really liked, also I want to talk about real fast. In the future, Blink was awesome. Like, probably in my opinion, better than she was in the comic book. She was the one that like had kind of Nightcrawler's, some of the, in the comic, she's Nightcrawler's daughter, I guess. She'd make holes in time yes, so you can like jump. Yeah, so instead of teleporting herself, she made like a teleporting window. Like a wormhole. Yeah, and she made the open and the and the front and the back, and so she controlled where people went. Right. And they used that very, very well in the movie. Yes. It was pretty badass. All right, so what are you going to grade X-Men Days of Future Past? Six out of six. Yeah, I'm going to give it a very, very solid six out of six clause. I loved it. It's um, a double snicked. Yes, everybody should go see it. Yes. People at work and kind of like talk to me like, hey, you like X-Men stuff, right? And I'm like, yeah. And I was, man, that movie was awesome. Like, I don't really get into that kind of stuff, but I loved it. Yeah, my so. boss, who apparently well, is a closet X-Men. Yeah. And your brother said, I've never seen any of the X-Men, but I love this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody should see it regardless. Anyway, uh, let's, let's get to comics. Okay. <laughs> here we come. Comics. It's here. Three months to die. Wait, thought the microverse killed him. Well, maybe in the end. It's their fault, I guess. Blame it on the microverse. Yep. Blame it on the microverse. The, the rain is officially off the hook. That's right. Anyway, this is Wolverine number eight. Three months to die. Games of Deceit and Death, part one of two. Paul Cornell is the writer. Chris Anka is the artist. David Curiel does the colors. And VC's Corey Pettit does the letters. Woohoo! Sorry. <laughs> and then Steve McNiven and Laura Martin did the cover. And then Ryan Stegman and Edgar Delgado did a pretty awesome variant cover that I might actually try to find. I usually don't double up on my issues, but it was really cool. But this cover by McNiven, who will be doing the uh, Death and Wolverine miniseries, is very simple, but very cool. Yes. It's just a blue gloved hand, which is interesting that it's blue and not his new costume, but I digress. Well, blue can kind of look black. That's true. So it can be either or. But um, it's just a fist at the bottom of the page and then three claws coming out all in a white background, and the claws go up into the title board, whatever you call that, banner of Wolverine. It's a very nice cover. It is. Very simple, very elegant, but very cool. So remember, uh, Wolverine was undercover as a bad guy working for the offer with a team of, of good-hearted criminals he was going to try to save. They're looking for this object that's very powerful. They find it. Sabretooth wants it. Now Sabretooth has Wolverine's team. And now Wolverine's got to figure out how to get this object back before Sabretooth can't be stopped anymore. So we find him on the island of Itsukushima, often called Mayajima or Mayajima, Hiroshima Prefecture. So he's on a Japanese island. (laughs) And this opening full page panel is pretty cool it's basically wolverine standing on a japanese shore in the rise in the sunrise or sunset i'm not sure which one uh but it's a really nice panel and we find out that uh, wolverine logan knew one of my favorite authors f scott Fitzgerald, 
and talks about how he was misquoted, saying American wives have no second acts. So what is the real quote? Did you look it up? No, I didn't. Oh. Anyway, he says, I wonder what I'll be remembered by. Maybe only that I finally lost. And then we see he's uh, sparring with Iron Fist and Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. I will say these panels are pretty sweet. A Wolverine getting uh, whooped. Yeah, his facial features are awesome. Yeah, yeah. So they're fighting on the beach, Rocky style, doing some beach training, Karate Kid. A Wolverine goes out and does the crane on one one of the uh, stumps in the ocean. What? Just kidding. I was Um, like, where's that? So they both are two martial arts experts. Talk about how Wolverine is being slowed down by thinking. Ooh. No longer, yeah, burn. No longer uh, thriving on his instinct. Basically, they say that Wolverine has come to um, hone his fighting skills. Now that he no longer has a healing factor, he can't be as reckless. So he's gonna gonna brush up on his training. Anyway, they're both kind of grilling Wolverine on on what he's afraid of now and why. Because uh, Wolverine's like, I just I wanted to take Sabretooth. I wanted it to be me. Damn it. Me. It's all about me. me. I'm supposed to kill Sabretooth. I'm supposed to take him. And um, There's I in team. I know there is. Yes. I just got to find it. And so they basically say, well, you said you, you don't know yourself, but you do. And you're afraid of death now. And so they argue a little bit. Then they come to the temple. The secret temple of death on holiday. Huh? Well, that's British for vacation. So death's vacation. Yeah. Death takes a vacation? On an island in Japan, apparently so. And so Iron Fist is like, so wait. Do you think it's all inclusive? Probably. Okay. So Iron Fist is like, wait, so no one can die here? And Shang-Chi says, oh, they can, but they shouldn't because it's not allowed. People that are about to die or pregnant ladies are all shipped away. Which, honestly, who lives on an island where death goes to vacation? Not me. Yeah, not me either. (laughs) So is there a typo in this? Well, you know, they're bantering back and forth and, uh, the little guy in red, I can't, I'm not even going to. Shang-Chi? Yeah, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name. He says, what's your name? And Logan goes, damn it. Yep, that's his name. James Logan, damn it, Howitt. Right. But I, isn't he trying to say, what's her name? So he says, what's your name? Right, but doesn't he mean, what's her name? No, I don't think so. He says, these simple questions of yours, they, they ain't always going to reveal something profound about. And Shang-Chi says, what's your name? He's like, damn it, like you got me. Like, that's a simple question, and it it leads to a profound answer. His name is James Hallett. Well, or Wolverine. How is that a profound? I am Denise, and Denise is a profound name. No, well, I mean, it could be. Huh? This is obviously... People can live up to what their names mean. Like, Jason means healer. There have been times in life where I have... Both healed trying me. to heal myself and, and helped others find healing. Um, but no, but his name is Wolverine, and that tells something about him. And also, if you want to go even deeper, the fact that he's gone by Logan all this time instead of his real name, James Howitt, also tells something about him. So just a simple question, what's your name, has a very complicated answer that tells a lot about who Wolverine is. So basically, Shang-Chi's like, gotcha! Yeah, he is kind of smart in the bottom panel. Yeah, and he says, then he says, where you got the her, he said, you said there was a woman? Wolverine talks about pinch, then he screwed her up, but at least she got away, at least she got out. Ooh. So apparently he does not know nope. that she was captured and her daughter by Sabretooth. Which, 
if he knew, I guarantee you he would not be on no, Holiday he Island. He wouldn't be uh, trying to find death on vacation. But speaking of which, we go to Sabretooth's HQ. And Ooh. Silver Samurai is showing Pinch that Sabretooth is playing with his daughter with a little Wolverine action figure. His daughter? Her daughter. Yeah, I'm sorry, Annie. Little orphan Annie is Pinch's daughter. And Sabretooth is uh, tickling her. No, wait, he has a, oh, he has a mystique action figure. And she has a Wolverine yeah, action figure. Yeah, she has a Wolverine action figure. I gotta say, I like the way Anka does Sabretooth's facial hair. Uh, it kind of curves back in yeah. on the sideburns under his cheek. Kind of makes a lion's mane. Yes. It's pretty sweet. It's very cool. And of course, Pinch looks horrified that Sabretooth is babysitting her daughter. Because you know how his mood can change. And he does like throats for breakfast. Yes. <laughs> As he demonstrated last issue. And Pinch says, okay, I get it. Now where's Offer? And right on cue, there's Offer. And he's like, are you okay? What about Logan? And she just stares at him. Then we go back to the temple, and uh, Wolverine's like, all right, so we keep climbing these stairs, and the temple keeps getting farther away. And then they're attacked by the guardian spirits. And they fight, and then Wolverine realizes, oh, wait a second. The guardian spirits of an island where death's not allowed. I reckon they only fight if we do. And Shang-Chi's like, ah, now you get it, slowpoke. So basically, if they don't fight them, the demons don't fight back? Right. If you don't wish to die, they can't kill you, basically. Or if you avoid death, they won't. They can't just kill you. You have to, like, provoke them, I guess. Gotcha. And Shang-Chi says, um, they banish those who live only to fight, who sometimes seek immortality here. In other words... People who, who fight all the time maybe know they're, they're too often on death's doors and they're coming here to like cheat death, maybe. Gotcha. And Shang-Chi's like, can't cheat it. Gotta face it. But Iron Fist kind of says, oh, it took me a minute too. Yeah, I think he's still trying to figure that one out. So they get there and there's uh, the servant of death. Who's a little boy. Is he? I can't tell if he's just a tiny person or a little boy. Yeah, I don't know. His arms are awfully long. In but proportion he's way to his legs. Than... Oh, yeah, no, he's super short. He or she is super short. Anyway, he talks about his mistress. The Wolverine's like, what? Like, like death as a person? Is she here? Of course, we know in Marvel we've, we've dealt with death before. In fact, the episode before this, we deal with it in Contest of Champions. So, anyway, they all make, everyone apparently is picking on Wolverine. They're all making fun of him. He says, why is everybody always picking on me? Anyway, so he goes, all right, well, so if death is death, we've, we've you know, we've, we've brushed shoulders before. Uh, let's go have a conversation. He's like, not that easy. You got to get lost before you can see death. And they go through this big maze. And in my favorite panel of the book, and I think probably yours too. Yes. Uh, they find this statue of a very feral wolverine, buck naked with claws out. Sitting on I wonder a if under that skulls. shadow there's a little sculpture of his peepee. Probably. Yeah. Anyway. He's anatomically correct. Yeah. And there's candles floating around him. And he, like you said, he's sitting on a pile of skulls. A throne of skulls. Yeah. And Death's servant is like, yep, I think she'll see you now. So we go back to the offer and Pinch. And he's uh, like, oh, I can't believe he turned on us. Uh, I like how Pinch calls him a first-time undercover who got too involved, and we all paid for it. And so Offer says, we need to maximize my power. What do they want? What do we have? And Pinch is like, well, uh, he wants this orb, 
and Wolverine, and they have basically all of us and my daughter. So Offer's like, okay, well, how'd you use it? And then we switch back, and Death makes an artistic critique. She says, the statue is gorgeous because it's true, and everything that's true is gorgeous. So basically be yourself, and it's beautiful, well, no matter uh, how. Or all art that conveys truth is beautiful. is beautiful, whether it's aesthetically pleasing or not. Right. Whether it's triumphant or horrifying or whatever. If it really portrays truth, then it's good art. So who knew? Death the art professor. Well, I will say, a little art side note. So I think it's a POW sculpture. And it basically, it's like a chandelier. And it has all the dog tags of men that went missing hanging from it. And there's thousands of them. And they're all lit from up above. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. But when you start thinking that every single dog tag that's hanging there, and there has to be thousands of them, is somebody that went missing. It's sad and beautiful all at the same time. Yeah. That's my art history lesson. There you go. Anyway, Wolverine uh, comments that death sounds British. Hmm. Is that a clue? And then death starts getting snarky. Um, And she shows... Wolverine Rose's skull. So we're flipping back and forth, and we go back to Sabretooth's headquarters, and the offer is going to visit the Lost Boy. And he says, good to see you. Yeah. you got to help me. Pinch won't tell me how to use the orb, and I need it so that we can bargain with Sabretooth. And so he goes, all right, I'll tell you. And then, um, I don't know what Wolverine's talking about here. He goes, weird, this was inside her head. Does he mean, like, the skull, like, was inside her skin? Is that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Thought he was seeing something like in the skull. No, I think it's just that I remember the first time. I knew time. thee well, he says, as he holds the skull up like Hamlet. And then Death gets awfully cheesy. She says, but gosh, you've seen sackfuls of them. And then every, again, even she makes fun of Wolverine for being slow. <laughs> and basically says, you just recently got all your memories back. Mentally, you're still a child. And children like closure. What does that line in the movie mean, Mommy? Shh, wait and see. And she starts being really childish herself. I win. I always win. Those are the rules. Now come towards the light. You'll never learn anything if you don't. So then we find out what the offer's offer is going to be to Sabretooth. And this part I thought was really cool. So Sabretooth's like, um, all right, so we already, everything's out on the table. Surprise me. His iPad is charging. Yes. Everything is is out on the table. Yeah. (laughs) Offer says, well, I'm going to try to surprise you. I know what's going to happen. You want Wolverine? You want um, us to lure him here in a trap? Then you're going to kill everybody. And Sabretooth's like, yeah, that about sums it up. What's your point? (laughs) And then Alfred just tells him, he says, I have a tracker in Wolverine's armor. And this is the tracker GPS. Here you go. Here's where he is. And Sabretooth's like, an island in Japan. I got ninjas right next door. And then Alfred proceeds. He says, the reason you can't use the orb and the reason Pinch can't use the orb anymore is because she was using the translator nanites on Madripoor. Remember those little bugs that were making the orb speak to her? Yeah. Yeah. So that's how she could use it because she could understand it with the nanites. And Offer said, you don't really need her at all. Just bring the nanites here and, and you can use it yourself. And Sabertooth's like, yeah, so now I can just kill all of you. And he's like, yes, if this was a bad movie, you would. And you're going to kill all the rest, but not me. Because I just showed you skills which would benefit your organization. And Sabretooth glares at him, half face in shadow. 
And he just laughs, which I thought fit Sabretooth really well. Right. He's like, ha, you're good. And yeah, you got the job. I'll get to the others in a sec. But first things first, let's finally get Logan killed. Then so we see Shang-Chi and Iron Fist having tea at the steps of the temple. Green tea or black tea? Who or gunpowder? I don't know. And they look up and Shang-Chi is snarky as a bunch of hand ninjas show up on gliders. And that's where we end. So, Hoffer, he's kind of a cold-hearted. What, to, yeah. to, to quote, um, what's that band? Jet. He's a cold-hearted bitch. Just like, what? He's a cold-hearted bitch. Okay. The offer is. Well, you yeah. could also quote, oh, what's her name? Crazy lady, Paula now Abdul. Now you're messing with a son of a bitch. No, I'm thinking Paula Abdul. He's a cold-hearted snake. <laughs> <laughs> Look into his eyes. Yeah, maybe you could. <laughs> <laughs> He's been telling lies. You should, you should probably stop now. <laughs> He's a lover boy <laughs> You don't play the fool. Yeah. Uh oh. So anyway, Offer uh, shows his end game. He had said from the beginning he wanted to combine his organization with Sabretooth. So he's getting it. Uh, yeah, it looks like he is. And he's only had to sell out his whole team to do it. Except here's the thing. I don't trust Sabretooth. I think Sabretooth would be like, great, you got me what I wanted. Your throat was yummy. Well, I think he is going to kill everybody else, but he's going to let... I think he realizes the offer has valuable skills, like he said. And I like this because most villains would say, you're right, I do like your skills, you get the job, but if you cross me, I'll kill you. I like how Sabretooth doesn't have to say that. Like, everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah, you got the job, but if you cross me, I'll kill you. <laughs> and it's, it's an unspoken knowledge. I thought that was really cool. All right, so um, what did you think of the art? I loved it. I liked it a lot. Everyone's been talking about like Chris Anka as as the artist on the rise at Marvel, and he's books I've read of his before. I've enjoyed. I felt like this was really, really good. Like this showed me like why everybody's so excited about him. The only thing I have to critique is I wasn't overly fond of his pinch because I felt like pinch kind of looked like a a dude. Okay, I think and maybe he's just trying to hair. make her all scowly. Yeah, maybe it was the. Ha- the hair, or maybe it's the very harsh angled yeah. features. But in this panel uh, where the offer comes in and it's just her profile, I kind of had to look at the other panels and go, oh, that's Pinch. Because it kind of looked like a guy. All right, well, that's cool. Um, I really like his facial expressions and his sense of action. Yes. Like both, both of those are very, very strong suits for his art. And Curiel's colors really make him pop. He's been doing, he's been the cover, or I'm sorry, the colorist on all three of our artists in this book. And his colors really have been outstanding. Oh, I love the panel where the, the like guardians come out and they have like green smoke. Yes, it looks really cool. It does look really cool. And they look gnarly in their diapers. All right. So what do you think of the story? Um... Okay. Some of the dialogue got on my nerves, but I thought the plot overall was really good. I did too. I almost think it would be interesting. Okay, so I know we're on eight, and it took us a while to get here, but I'm kind of wondering if the story started here and then just flashbacked, if it would be more interesting. Because while this is a progression, it's that stopping point between whatever comes next. Huh. All right. 
I I like the way it's been building and building, so I'm I'm happy with how it's gone so far. Yeah, never really been a big Shang Chi fan, and this comic doesn't really convince me. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna rush out and buy his new mini series or series or whatever it is that's coming out soon. Actually, I thought I thought that was already supposed to be out. I don't I haven't heard anybody say anything about it. So I don't know. Maybe it never came out. Um, the new Iron Fist series is out, and it actually looks pretty good. I haven't read it yet, but the art on that looks amazing. And the snarkiness with death I thought was weird. Yeah. Um, I know she's on vacation, so she's you know she let her hair down. But well, but I like how she in the beginning where she says this was this was Rose. Death started to be very nostalgic in the beginning. Like you know this one, this is Rose. Was that nostalgia or her being a smartass? See, I feel like that was snarky, too. Like, oh, did you? Yeah, like, here's your skulls. Oh, you don't reckon? What, what are, you, are you surprised? Oh, here, let me show you the skull of your first love. Here you go. Oh, uh, see, I guess I kind of, I guess my first impression of that was she was trying to be nostalgic, oh. and then she got snarky. But maybe she was just snarky from the get-go, and I yeah. just, I let nostalgia cover up the snarkiness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You, you can be right. That's just, I read it as... Well, I didn't expect her to be, because she was like, and stuff. Yeah, I I don't know. I know, she, like I said, I know she's on vacation, but she's she's taking that a little too little too lightly. But other than that, like I said, I thought the overall progression of the plot was really nice. The, the saber tooth stuff and him and the offer messing with each other and Wolverine. We we kind of already talked about this before with him like recognizing, hey, I need to, I need to fight better. Right. Because I don't have my healing factor anymore. But you know, him training with Iron Fist and Shang Chi, I thought was a good idea. Anything else to say? Nope. What are you going to give Wolverine number eight? I'm going to give it five out of six. Okay. I will also give it five out of six claws. Whoa. We've been on the same page lately. Yeah, we really have. And this, I think we'll both admit this series has really been delivering the goods the last several issues. It's got the goods. Yep. Hey, everybody. <laughs> we already did that. <laughs> Sorry. So next up, we have Savage Wolverine number 20. All right, this is Valentine's Day. Frank Thierry is the writer. Felix Ruiz is the artist. Dan Brown is the colorist. VC's Corey Pettit Woo-hoo. is the winner. And Declan Shalvey and Jordi Belair did the cover. That's the Moon Knight team. And they did the cover. What's on the cover? Well, we've got Wolverine with his claws out in a very uh, bloody trench coat. Yeah. And fedora. With a, what, 1920s looking car. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of bodies strewned everywhere. Yeah. And it's gray and rainy. What do you think of this cover? I like it a lot. Yeah, I do too. It's cool. Wolverine's kind of hunched. Kind of has a last man standing kind of yeah. vibe. But yeah, some pretty cool covers. A really dark, really nice tone. I like it. All right, so what happens in this one? So we start off with a very cool panel of a bunch of bodies stacked one on top of each other, and the panel's cut into thirds across the page. A triptych. Uh, And it's Valentine's Day, 1929, in North Chicago. Oh, like the Valentine's Day massacre. That's right, and history tells us that seven men were found riddled with bullets inside a garage. Except history was wrong, because there was eight. Yep, and we see among the bodies of dead gangsters... Wolverine. Wolverine. And so Wolverine wakes up because obviously he has a healing factor that these other seven guys don't have. Right. And someone puts their foot right on his Fancy chest. Fancy shoes. Yeah. Slam him down. 
It says, not so fast. We're not done. Yeah. Then we go, uh, we flash back to three days earlier. And Logan and his gal Molly. His flapper. Yep. They're headed to Chicago with some prohibition. Pooch. Yeah. Prohibition. Pro- whatever. Whatever he said. Yep. But they're stopped by a roadblock of prohibition agents and coppers. Except you find out that they're really on Capone's side. Yep. And they want the alcohol for Capone. And of course, Wolverine pulls out his claws, takes off. Now, we don't have a snick. We have a stick. I think we just have the sound of the arm getting cut off. Yeah. Kind of an uber violent savage. Get it? Frame when Wolverine cuts this guy's arm off. Well, he grabbed him. It's interesting that the claws cut right through. Would you not think that they would? I mean, they're sharp like a katana, right? We should only be in bone claws at this point. Oh. We'll talk more about that when we see the claws again. Okay. We'll say on the cover, they're obviously modern, regular adamantium claws. Right. And we'll talk more about that as we go through. Okay. So anyway, there's a skirmish. Yeah, Wolverine roughs everybody up, but they shot the car. So they make it to Chicago. Wolverine's showing off his uh, how many shots can he drink skills. Yes, his healing factor lets him hold a lot of liquor. So he takes 50 shots. Wow, that would have me on my butt. <laughs> You'd be dead. We'd both be dead. <laughs> uh, and anyway, they... he's talking to, what's this guy's name? Bugs. Bug something. And that's the guy that Wolverine's working for. It kind of comes, I don't know, intentionally or not, or just a coincidence, but kind of comes right on the heels of our Wolverine bootlegger story. I thought the same thing. I was wondering if this was like a part two. Yeah, I don't know, because we had that random other story kind of thrown in with Jubilee. Yeah. But this kind of picks up when we left off before. Right. And this is a tad better. A tad? Yeah. Tried lots. (laughs) Anyway, we'll talk more about that later, too. Can we get a full page spread as Wolverine goes back to his room to find Molly? And she has been murdered. Yep. And Mutilated, you might say. Yeah. Avoided. She was murdered. And someone took her blood and wrote hello. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. On the wall above Over the, the bed. bed. Yep. Wolverine sees a bloody trail and jumps out the window. And let's look at these claws. They're definitely metal. They don't look bony at all. No. They look razor-sharp adamantium. Yep, somebody missed their lore. Oops. So he's going to go after Capone. Yeah, so we get this bloody trail, which is a... I guess is the Hotel Lexington, is that like a known historical Capone hideout? I think so. Okay. It's been a while since I've watched Untouchables. That's where you get your history lore from? From Capone, yeah. Okay. Anyway, he... He breaks through the door. Capone's waiting for him. Capone says, I ain't oh, hiding. First, he's, he's cut a trail of blood through all his enforcers and bodyguards. Right. He's just leaving bodies. It's a very cool sequence because he started off, you see two bodies outside the door. And you see two in the hallway. And you see more in the hallway. You see Wolverine about to kick a door in. Yeah. It's pretty cool. He kicks the door in. Capone's sitting there. He shoots Leisurely. him with his Tommy gun. Yeah. To which, again... Wolverine slashes through the Tommy gun. Yeah, definitely not bone claws. Nope. Uh, and so basically, he threatens Capone, and Capone says, "Hey, I wasn't behind it. Here, I hired a guy, yeah. and he wants you to meet him." 
I like how he, he calls him. He says, so Scarface snicked. Yeah. You think you got scars now? Just wait. I thought that was pretty badass. Yeah. But he gives Logan a note from his, his I guess his main hitman right now. Yeah. He says he wants to meet with Logan. And it's, we see in, as we go back to the current or present for the story, not present for us. Right. But Logan in his bloody hand is holding the note that says to go back to this. Uh, garage. Cartage garage. Is that? Yeah. The Cartage Company. Yeah. And then this page, we have a really cool triptych of a very uh, slightly bony finger kind yeah, of tracing. Long claws kind of drawn in the blood. Yeah. And then he, he kind of lifts it up and the, the tip of the finger is kind of highlighted. We see the blood dripping down it. And then he sticks out his kiss-like tongue. Yeah. Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons. And he like tastes it. Yeah. Which kind of ugged me out. <laughs> well, it's very um, <clears throat> who this is. I like the the, the uh, dialogue here. He says, um, I gave Capone the idea for this, you know. Capone will get the credit, of course. This is going to be his masterpiece. The thing they'll be talking about for years to come. Of course, what they should be talking about is something they ain't even got a clue about. Us. Runt. And we see it saber-tooth. Uh-oh. And the whole time Wolverine says, um, he didn't know many mutants back in the day, but he knew one. And he knew this one too well. An evil bastard. He realizes that Sabretooth killed Molly. And he mm. says, when I get up from here and... Uh, so... Well, Wolverine says, or Sabretooth says, just my way of saying hello again. Yeah. Like he did in the first, when they, the first time they met, he killed Silver Fox. Well... And what's interesting is, is Wolverine jumps up and he tells him, you, you ain't healing yet. Right. Like, you just took a bunch of bullets, which I know in the past you've said they play fast and loose with his healing factor. Yeah. But it seems like this time, besides they got the claws wrong, they're trying. They got trying, the healing factor right. Yeah, they got yeah. the healing factor they right. They don't just immediately spit the bullet out and bounce back. Yeah. The Sabretooth wants to take Logan under his wing. Yeah, he wants a group and Logan kind of... I thought this was funny. He goes, you mean like a brotherhood? Which we later on, we have the brotherhood of evil mutants. That's correct. But I like the little kind of, the same routine basically saying, you know, people like us, we hide in the shadows, do the dirty work, but we should be, basically, we should be in charge. And we, we hold all the power. Right. But uh, Wolverine wants nothing to it. And so Sabretooth says, I should kill you like the sick animal you are. And then he goes, but just not yet. Yeah. And we hear the cops coming, the Sabretooth skedaddles. Wolverine pops his claws and jumps after him. And what does Sabretooth do? He grabs him by the neck and goes, yeah. close. He catches him in the air. Yeah. And then throws him down. And what does he say as he walks off? But not just yet. <laughs> I will say this panel of Wolverine jumping, it's very cool. And it's very um, Jackman. Hugh yeah. Jackman-y. Yeah, I can see that. So then basically... Um, Wolverine's at the cemetery in yeah, front of Molly's grave. this is now more... I don't know if it's current or... But at least closer to current. Like she's, it's, been, it's at least a year. Right. So... Now what I don't understand is... So in the top panel, Wolverine's standing in front of the cemetery... Or standing in front of this, the grave marker. Right. And it's fine. But then two panels down, it's got giant claw marks in it. Okay. Uh, so... Wolverine's visiting the grave side of Molly to say, Happy Valentine's Day, darling. And then Sabretooth throws a bottle at his head. 
says, Happy Valentine's Day, Rot. He's, he's gone so fast, Wolverine can't do anything. And then, I, so I don't know if those are supposed to be Sabretooth's claws, like he defaced the tombstone, like he was in and out so fast, or Wolverine did it because he, it hurt to get hit in the back of the head and he popped right. his claws on instinct. There's only three marks, but they're not even uh, like Wolverines usually are, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know who did it. Well, but. and I'm assuming Sabretooth left the flower. Because just the way Wolverine looks at it, like, yeah. yep, that was you. Then we end with, uh, he learned a lot of things that Valentine's Day, but mostly I learned that no matter how I did it, no matter how long it took, no matter what part of my soul it cost me, I was going to kill Sabretooth, and someday I will. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So what do you think of the art by Mr. Ruiz? Um... So I will admit, in the beginning, I wasn't fond of it. And then about three or four pages into it, I was cool with it. But yeah, I think it was nice. It just took a little while to grow on me. I don't know if it's it's the style a little bit, and then the setting and the wardrobe. Kind of reminds me a little bit of the first volume of American Vampire. Is that set in the 20s? Yes. And that Skinner guy, the main vampire, I, I always thought he kind of looked like Creed anyway. <laughs> and so... Yeah, so it has a little bit of that. Kind of, I don't really know, kind of rough art, but not bad. It's just rough. Right. I will say it was... The coloring I thought was really interesting. It was. So Dan Brown did a good job taking a break from the Da Vinci Code and coloring this comic book. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so what do you think of this story? I like it better than the other story. I, yeah, I do too, quite a bit. Now, to be fair... Frank Thierry has a proven history of knowing how to write Wolverines and Sabretooth together. Okay. So we have a track record of a guy who knows those characters and the way they interact. Well, and I will say with this story, I liked how it used common history but gave it a twist. Yes. Well, and also, maybe maybe it's built-in conflict. I mean, maybe it wouldn't be the same if I didn't. All right, but I, I, think, I think it would be. I will, I will allow, I will concede the point that maybe it wouldn't be the same if I didn't know Sabretooth, but I just thought the villain was a lot more interesting. But I think even if I didn't know Sabretooth and I just saw him, his portrayal here is a, and just the way he talks, the way he acts, is a yeah. lot more interesting than the two guys we got last time. Yeah, they were weird. I mean, he's kind of, he's a, he's a monster like Wolverine. Yeah. He has these, like, philosophy about how the world should be and, right. and their place in it. Like, I don't know, there's just so much more depth to this story so you have like yeah the history is a backdrop and the the cool like 20s thing but you also just have a lot more character depth i think in this one well and Sabretooth in and of himself is a dynamic villain but when, it's like when written well yeah definitely. yes but it's like you said he has his own set of philosophies where the other two characters they were like oh you maimed me i'm going to hurt you <laughs> right and yeah. so they were just bullies yeah and so you just kind of, you didn't even want them to talk. You just wanted Wolverine to kick their butt. <laughs> but Sabretooth is a different story. And right. so their monologuing back and forth is always intriguing. All right. So what are you going to rate Savage Wolverine number 20? I'm going to give it five out of six. I'm also going to give it five out of six claws. I like Sabretooth's greeting. Yes. Almost like he expected... We don't really know if Wolverine knows who it is at first or not. By this point, he probably doesn't quite have his scent memorized. Well, no, because he went after Capone, so he obviously didn't oh, know. right. But, 
Now, the only thing that kept this book from going a little bit higher is the fact that you pointed out the claws, the claws. bug me. Yeah. I, I don't know why they made that choice. I know that the Savage Wolverine is supposed to be a little bit loose in the continuity yeah, by his nature, but, but here you are telling this great story of Sabretooth and Wolverine interacting a long time ago, and there's no reason this story like shouldn't be part of continuity. Right. So why why take the claws out? I don't know. Right. But but the story was good enough. I'm not making that as big of a complaint as maybe I should or could. But right. Anyway, yeah. So five out of six for both of us. I shot the watcher, but I did not shoot Nick Fury. <laughs> That's right. It's time for an original sin update. Number three of eight answers at all cost. Or trust no one, not even yourself. Written by Jason Aaron. Art by Mike Diodato. Colors by Frank Martin. Letters by VC's Chris Eliopoulos. And the cover by Julian Tatino Tedesco. And we have another great cover that looks like an old sci-fi movie poster. We have Original Sin making a shadow again. Above it, we have the Rocketeer in a trench coat. And then below it, we have three of our heroes, Moon Knight, Gamora, and Bucky. And old school sci-fi looking space suits with yes. the little bubble helmets. And they're walking on a, a, a space sci-fi planet. And there's a shadow of a creature on the cleft of the rock. Little it's, green men. Yeah, it's a really cool cover. And again, denotes a tone that maybe doesn't really fit the story, but it's a great cover. Yeah. <laughs> so, remember, the giant eye, eyeball, the orb... Found the eye of the Watcher, and he's going to release all the secrets. So we find out weeks ago that the orb approached Dr. Midas and his daughter. What was her name? The Dominatrix? Yeah, Matrix what? Anyway, he's, he's telling them about this dream. And he can see the Watcher on his moon base. Ooh. His moon base, Zephyr. And he says, I can take you there. So then we go back to now, and the orb is shooting lightning out of the Watcher's eyeball, and it's hitting all our heroes, and they all uh, suddenly see secrets. Who, yeah. Who's the guy down there in the corner? Luke Cage. Yeah, he says, what the hell does this mean? Why would? And, and Spider-Man's like, oh no. And Hulk says, Hulk smash Stark. <laughs> and uh, Thor says, I have a sister. <laughs> Then we get a group of just random people. Right. And it says, with the babysitter, you dog. Right. And then she loved me. And she never said a word. All those years wasted. Yeah. And a guy knows who killed his mom. So then uh, Dominatrix is like, let's move. But Nick Fury shows up and tells him, Orb to put the eyeball down. Just put the eye down. But <laughs> he says, I'm not the one you want. I want to know the next secret. Who really killed the Watcher? Because it certainly wasn't me. Then we go back below the Earth's surface where we have Black Panther, Emma Frost, and Ant-Man collecting uh, green glowing bullets from these all these creatures that are buried in the center of the earth. Make sure you don't put them in your pockets. Then we go somewhere beyond our dimension where uh, Punisher and Doctor Strange talk trash to each other some more. And Punisher basically says, um, there's about 10 people on earth who can make this shot. And I'm one of them. And Doctor Strange says, tell me every name on the list. Then we're out in space with our heroes from the cover, Bucky, Moon Knight, and Gamora. And they start getting hit by what they think are meteors, but it turns out they're giant shell casings. 
Uh-oh. Yeah. So they're going to follow the trail. And then we see our secret, what I'm, we're assuming is the bad guy. And then, but also, though, he's the guy that puts some of these teams together. So I don't really know what's going on here. Okay. So I thought that was Fury. No. Oh. I don't think so. He says, won't be long now. We'll have visitors soon. Make sure everything's ready. Prepare for the worst. He says, yes, sir, we always do. And that does kind of look like a S.H.I.E.L.D. guy. I'm wondering if this is the evil Nick Fury from those old Secret Avengers stories. Oh. But I don't know. We'll see. Like how I said, oh, and I have no idea yeah. what you're or talking maybe about. Maybe he's the real one and the other one's the secret. I don't We'll find it. Well, I don't want to spoil that. And we go to Avengers Tower and outside the building, we hear snicked. a snicked. I'm going to hear that sound. That means you've got about three seconds to tell me what I want to know. Pretty badass. Yeah. Uh, Orm calls uh, calls Wolverine and Hulk a tortured school teacher and a deranged physicist. I love that. Is this some sort of variation on good cop, bad cop? Wolverine says, probably my favorite line in the comic. He says, more like stab cop, smash cop. <laughs> Start talking, bub. That was really funny. No, I don't like the Hulk's head in this picture. No, but I like Hulk's comment. Tell Eyeball Man to stop staring at Hulk. Two seconds. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't like his head. He looks like a pit from Image. He just looks weird. Yeah, he's got this weird, like, giant jaw. I know one of his nicknames is Jade Jaws, but still. Um, Hulk smash eyeball. So Wolverine says, tell me who killed the Watcher. And the orm's like, I'm only talking to Fury. Um, of course, Fury's watching this. He's talking to Cap. I love he, this interaction between him and Cap. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And Nick's like, so what'd you see, Cap? And Cap's like, not the mission. I like how Nick Fury makes fun of the fact that it's Orb that they're dealing with. Like he's a joke. And then he wants to know, well, everyone saw a secret except for me. Why not me? So then we go back to space and we see a barren planet that our heroes are walking on. But they're finding all these bullet holes in the ground. And they're trying to figure out why this guy who's been such a great shot missed. And Bucky's like, oh crap, he didn't miss. He didn't miss at all. Throw a camera in the sky. So they throw up a little space camera. And we zoom out. And we see that the planet was the target. It's a big head. Oh, it was a living planet. Yeah. And this guy shot it all. Bye-bye, planet. So they're wondering, well, maybe the Watcher saw something he shouldn't have seen. And that's why he got killed. There's a cosmic killing spree. We need everybody. Everybody needs to be in on this. Bucky? Bucky? Bucky, where'd you go? Spaceship blow up. Oh, no. Surely it's not Bucky. Oh, he's our prime suspect. Uh-oh. Yep. Blame it on Bucky. Yep. So Wolverine calls Fury. They're, they got the orb ready to talk. And Nick Fury wants to know where the other eyeball is. Then Bucky uh, teleports in and shoots Nick Fury in the chest. Bam! Then shoots off his arm and then takes a knife and cuts off his head and says, No more secrets. And he stands over, stands over Nick Fury's decapitated dead body. Ew. Wow. That's a twist. Yeah. Bucky's a good guy. What's going on? Well, we Is know this... Fury has secrets coming out the Wazuzu. Yes, but they weren't revealed. He didn't see anything. Maybe because he's okay with all secrets. I do think it's interesting. We, I kind of glossed over it or forgot to mention it. They talk about how, where'd all the heroes go? And a bunch of them boogied after they were confronted with their secrets. Right. And um, I think it's interesting that guys like Wolverine who have kind of, maybe made peace isn't the right word, but they kind of don't care what people know about him, right? So his secrets doesn't, don't really bother anybody. You have guys like Spider-Man and Daredevil, who like, 
have to go interact and figure out what's going on with their secrets. Right. Because they don't want people to know. Right. Of course, we as a reader already know what some of these secrets are. They've already been teased and revealed and whatever. I will say I'm, I'm interested in some of the tie-ins I mentioned, like Spider-Man and Daredevil. Uh, some of the other ones I don't know about as much. But anyway, so what do you think's going on? Why do you think Bucky's killing Nick Fury? I have no idea. Or do you think the other guy's really Nick Do you think there's two Nick Furies? That guy looks an awful lot like Nick Fury. Yes, but if there's a two... A Nick Fury from the future. <laughs> Goodness gracious, I hope there's no time travel in this. I don't know. Lately, everything's been time travel. Yes, lately, everything has been time travel. Marvel and DC. Well, it's okay. It's a very interesting twist. So I'm zooming in. So I don't think it's Fury because there's no eye patch. Okay. There's a lot of shadow. There could be an eye patch in there. But who's that? See, that uniform looks kind of like a shield uniform or if we didn't know punisher was with dr strange right now it looks a little bit like the punisher so i don't know well and what's interesting is he points so on the panel where we're kind of at that shield looking facility and we were trying to guess who the guy is yeah. he has up on his screen and he points to bucky i'm wondering if he's controlling them somehow but i don't know he may not be a bad guy maybe he's Let's look, let's look at this chair and this scenery. This is not the same room that Nick Fury's in, right? The chair is different. The chair is different. And we don't have this stasis chamber or whatever that is off to the side. Right, the little cylinders. Yeah. So, I don't know. At least now we finally have a good mystery going. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, what do you think of the art? Who was the first person who put S.H.I.E.L.D. together? Uh, Nick Fury was there. No. Yes. He was one of the first S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Yep. Okay. Don't get your team, don't get your I'm cinematic them, mo- yeah. universe messing your comic universe. Okay. No, I was trying to process of elimination. Oh, okay. I was thinking maybe it was someone trying to hush S.H.I.E.L.D. And that's why Fury, keep him occupied, why he didn't see anything. I don't know. It's Fury's brother. <laughs> anyway, art I thought was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I love Diodato. Um thought the layout's really nice. Did you like the panel work more this time? Because it's still pretty busy and pretty Yeah, but odd. it's not as... It was easier to follow. Okay. Not as distracting to yeah. you this time. And the end, while gruesome, has me wondering what's coming next. Yes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. All right. So, I will say I'm really... This is the kind of Jason Aaron I like, where it's really good story mixed like with humor thrown in. Right. But it's not... A, obviously, there's nothing about this as a joke. Right. It's a pretty serious story. So this is kind of Jason Aaron at his best. So the Twitterverse was a buzz with uh, Bucky being revealed as a killer and Nick Fury supposedly dying. Pretty shocking. Uh, besides the shock factor, what do you think of the story as the, as far as just the general plot? Oh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I definitely want to see more of what some of these secrets are that people learned. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, what do you want to grade Original Sin number three out of eight? It's going to get six out of six. Wow. All right. Yeah. Denise really loved it. I'm going to give it... Drum roll. Um, I can't keep that up. <laughs> keep going. that dramatic uh shoot i don't know um it's that tough yeah i think what are you teeter-tottering between a four and a five. Oh, you didn't think it was that good that was good i'll give it i'll give it five out of six 
and the crowd goes wild. All right, cool. Well, uh, sing us out. I shot the watcher, but I didn't shoot Nick Fury. Oh. Okay, next up we have X marks the spot. Excellent. <laughs> Yay, welcome bad X puns. We're ecstatic. <laughs> we have actually two issues of Amazing X-Men to cover. Amazing X-Men Annual Number 1, which is weird because it hasn't even been out in a year yet. And Amazing X-Men Number 8. It should at least be like 14 or 15 by the time we get an annual, but whatever. Nobody asked me. Nope. So real fast, I'm going to do the annual first. It is written by Monty Nero, art by Salvador La Roca, eight by Juan Velasco, colors by Sonia Obach, and then there's a backup written by Marguerite Bennett. Uh, the arts and colors are by Juan Doe. Get it? Juan Doe. Instead of John Doe. Oh, it may not even be a joke. I have no idea. But it is to me. <laughs> Letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. And our cover is by Salvador La Roca. It would be a pretty awesome cover. It's Storm, in a storm, and lightning behind her. But she looks like the Joker. <laughs> you made me do it. <laughs> Damn it. Yes. So because of the, the pale coloring of yes. just the cover overall, and the lightning kind of lighting up her face, and the way the color is done, her face looks very white, and her lips look very red, and she's smiling from ear to ear. And basically, we have Joker Storm. <laughs> Sorry that I beat you to the punchline. It's okay. But other than that, it would be a fantastic cover. I just looked over and I was like, I thought he's explaining Storm, but that's the Joker. Wait, am I getting my comics mixed up? So basically, in this annual, we have an Inhuman. Now remember, Black Bolt dropped the Terra Genesis bomb. There's Inhumans popping up all over the world. Well, this guy pops up in Kenya, and basically, he blames Storm for creating a sandstorm that killed his family years ago when Storm was young. And Storm remembers this. There was a time where uh, she was, I guess, following T'Challa or they were together or whatever, but he got attacked and was going to be murdered. And Storm, a very young Storm, raised a sandstorm to cover his escape, like to fight his captors. And in the process of that... Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, so this guy says that that sandstorm grew into a bigger sandstorm and killed his family. Okay. And now that he has these new powers, he's basically, even though he doesn't know necessarily where Storm is, he's going after her old tribe and killing them and inducting them. So basically the X-Men show up to protect because one one of Storm's cousins go missing. And um, they beat him. They find this old lady who tells Storm that, you know what? Um, I was there. Yes, you made a sandstorm, but there were sandstorms back then all the time. So this isn't your fault. We don't really know if it was yours. Yeah, right. All right. So then the uh, extra stuff is basically um, excerpts from, it's basically in tributes to I Love Firestar. None of them are really worth mentioning. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah. So the main art was really good. Of course, I like La Roca. Um, the new Inhuman guy was not very interesting. Well, he could have been interesting. He had an interesting power, it seemed like, where he could create, like, these dark shadow sand monsters, and they barely did anything with that. So, kind of a, a strikeout on that one. And the story is vaguely interesting, but just not very well written. Um, I'm going to give Amazing X-Men Annual Number 1 2 out of 6 claws. Ouch. So let's move on to number 8. 
This is World War Wendigo, part one of five. We have our new official creative team, which is writer, or writers, Craig Kyle and Chris Yost, penciled Ed McGinnis, eat by Mark Farmer, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and this cover is by Ed McGinnis and Marte Gracia. And on this cover, we basically have Wolverine getting dogpiled by a bunch of Wendigos, and it's all kind of red tone except for the white of the Wendigo. Even that kind of fades into red and purple. What do you think of this cover? I like the cover. I just, I wish um, the part where we see Wolverine was a little bit better executed because he looks like his body is, like, it, it's a to hand, me it but it looks like lo- three claw marks, like he's been stabbed. Like he's been stabbed. Well, like, th- this is his oh, body the- and he's naked. Oh, and the Wendigo arm, you think yeah. it looks like his body? Oh. Yeah. See, I think the opposite. I think that it looks like they drew, like. Because this looks like his armpit. Okay. All right. I think it almost looks like instead of looking like Wolverine is being buried, it looks like he's like there's two layers. Like Wolverine's one layer and all the Wendigos are another layer that got stuck on top. Yeah. So it looks a little bit detached to me. But other than that, I like the cover quite a bit. I like the concept of it. I like the layout. I think McGinnis draws a pretty mean looking Wendigo and I like how they're all like Wolverine's cut them all up. Yeah. So. I I like it. I like the idea. I, like the color I think work the a lot too. execution maybe needed another yeah, day or okay. two to work out. I can see that. All right. So basically, because uh, not wait. Sorry, had oh, to point one thing out. Go ahead. Because in the corner, it looks like one Wendigo is bunny earing another Wendigo. Oh, yes. Because pretend like every cover is a photo, uh-huh. and the artist at Marvel Studios is taking the picture. Uh huh. It's like, all right, everybody, freeze, and they take the picture. And they said, all right, well, let's all do a goofy one. And so they all pretend like they're going to attack Wolverine. And they're not really growling. They're, like, laughing and stuff. Uh-huh. And then this one puts bunny ears behind the Wendigo's head. <laughs> because, you know, there's always that one obnoxious douche in a goofy picture that makes bunny ears. That's right. Yep. So we, we found him. <laughs> anyway, so we start off in CC Music Factory. Uh, not Music Factory. Meat <laughs> Company. In Ontario, Canada, and there's a guy who's mad at a much younger guy for sleeping with his wife. Is it his wife or his daughter? Oh, no, it's behind his back. That's got to be his wife, right? See, I kind of took it as his daughter like but, works there as well. And it's like, you guys shouldn't be dating because you work together. You've been sleeping with her behind my back. I told you you guys couldn't date. Oh. I don't know. I guess I just was... assumed behind my back meant cheating. Oh. But, I don't know. Anyway, he's mad. He punches a guy and accidentally breaks his neck. In a very awkward panel. Well, his neck looks broken. Yeah, but his <laughs> hands look very, like... Yes. Atrophied. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But then he's, he realizes what he did, but he doesn't want to get caught. So, so we're going to hide the evidence. A, yeah. So he puts him in the meat grinder. Crunch, 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 crunch. Yeah. It's what's for dinner. And I'm assuming there's a mop off panel and he mops up all the blood. No, it's a meat grinder. It's supposed to be muddy, bloody. Muddy, bloody. Those, I mean, I surely they have safety standards and health codes. Oops, he accidentally fell in. I told him <laughs> to stand so close. He that said he rubber. Lo- he said he lost a contact lens, and it must yes. be somewhere in the sausage. And I love how um, you see his shoes going in. So somewhere on the other end of this meat grinder right. is an entire lab coat, a pair of shoes. Oh, yeah, someone's getting some bad meat. I love how the meat grinder, of course, looks like a Play-Doh factory. <laughs> Squish. Yeah. So anyway, um, 
Wolverine is in Ottawa, Logan, and he's visiting his old friend Heather McDonald. A.K.A. Vindicator. And she's surprised to see him, or happy to see him, I can't tell. And he gets a phone from Iceman, who has popsicle sticks in his head, right? Isn't that what that is? I guess so. And he's basically like, uh, Kenny was right, these are ex-babies. Oh, dear. And then Heather disappears, and she's mad. Uh, Mac has gone missing. What's his real name? James McDonald. Has gone missing, and before he left, they had a really big fight, and she's worried. And then Wolverine says something awesome. He says... Well, there's two things we can do here. He's in trouble, and we can go get him. Or he's being an idiot, and we can go beat some sense into him. That's very Wolverine. Yeah. Either way, you're in luck, because look who brought his party dress. And he holds up his uniform, and he says, Oh, my, my. Oh, hell yes. (laughs) Honey, put on your party party dress. dress. Anyway, he's ready for action everywhere he goes. Then we go back to the Jean Grey school, and Colossus is crushing Nightcrawler with a bear hug. Oh. Reminds me of George from church. <laughs> I always take off my glasses when I see him coming because I know he's going to squish me with a hug. And what's funny is the first time I went to church with you and George came up, you like fumbled really quickly to take <laughs> your glasses off. And I thought, what the hell? Yeah. And then he gave me a hug. Yeah. You know, realign your back. Anyway, Colossus is really good to see Nightcrawler. They have an awkward conversation about how they've both been dead before. And then Storm wanders around looking for Wolverine. I found this page incredibly annoying. <laughs> um, everybody's like, I, I have a stupid joke about why I don't know where Wolverine is. Because he smells. Yeah. And, oh yeah, we think when you find him, let him know we found something to help that smell. Yeah. And then Iceman's like, oh no, I don't know. I, I don't know where he went when he left. I mean, who said he left? I mean, what was the question? So the Iceman part's actually not bad. The rest of it I can do without. And Wolverine's like, Wolverine can't go storming off without his healing factor. He's vulnerable now. And... So he says, where'd he go? And Iceman's like, Canada. Yeah. He goes, he always gets almost killed when he goes to Canada. I love this part. Okay, one, I forgot. So I really don't see how it's my fault. And B, he was really crabby. And I think he would have actually killed me if I had stopped him. And Storm face palms and says, I can't believe Professor X chose you to be an X-Man. I know, right? I just made such a dork. So we go to Forest, Canada, a city, not a forest in Canada. And this part's kind of X Filesy. It is. And basically, they come to this deserted town, and Wolverine's sniffing out. Uh, Vindicator, or Heather Vindicator, looks a lot like the new Jean Grey with her red hair and a green Voltron suit. And a um, green Canadian flag costume. Yes, well, that, that goes back. That's how, oh, okay. the, how the costume always is. Those usually red and white. Well, that's how uh, James is. Yes. Okay, yes. All right. So I guess they have his and hers. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, uh, Wolverine basically follows his scent and kind of recreates the scene in his mind. And it's actually really cool panel work. It is. Of them kind of ghosting what uh, James did. Uh, is he still Vindicator too? I'm not really sure about that. I don't know, but this panel reminded me of what, um, what are those shows? Like CSI. Yes. And, okay, uh, yeah. Like a Criminal crime, Minds. Like the recreation scene. Where they're standing there and there's like this ghosted image of what's yes. going And they're kind of like, this is what I'm guessing happened. That's, that's, you're, that's right. That's a better analogy than X-Files. Yeah. Because you're, you're spot on. That's exactly right. But it works really well, I thought. There's a Wolverine basically sees everything he sees. He says, I smell blood and adrenaline. And I even like how like the perspective's right. Like James is like a head over him taller. Right. Like when they're in the same place, ghosting over each other. McGinnis actually makes uh, 
James looked really cool, like as cool as he's looked since John Byrne had him. Anyway, but then we see like skeletons of people being eaten. And Wolverine's like, get out. Go get Alpha Flight. Get the X-Men. Get everyone. Like Wolverine's scared. And we see a really badass panel of a Wendigo sneaking up behind James out of the shadow. I really love the fingernails, the claws. Yeah, they're like brittled and gnarly. That's pretty awesome. So basically Storm is, is stalling. Trying to find uh, Logan in Canada. She says, it's a big country. And Heather is going nuts trying to call Puck, who I guess is sleeping with Shaman's daughter or ex-wife or someone. It's Elizabeth's two young men, which remember that Shaman's civilian last name. But Puck won't answer. And uh, Heather gets attacked by a Wendigo. And then we turn out there's more than one Wendigo. And they start chewing on her and attacking her. And the Wendigos look kind of pretty badass, I gotta say. Yeah. And we have a panel where it looks like she's about to be pulled in half. Then we get an awesome double snicked of Wolverine running out of a red background, screaming Heather's name. I really enjoyed that panel. It's a good double snick. Yeah. And Rachel's like, I found Wolverine, but he's scared. He never gets scared. She says, have Northstar prep a blackbird. We're going to Canada. Doing it a nice end of the comic. A double page spread with a bunch of Wendigos and Wolverines come across them and he's got his back to us. I thought that was a great double page spread. It is a great double page spread. So I do have a question though. Okay. All right. So, you know, I know you know Wendigo in general. Do you know kind of the Marvel? I don't know the Marvel lore, lore behind Wendigo. And the Marvel lore is that in the great... White North, um, if you eat the flesh of another person, you can get taken over by the Wendigo spirit, or can. I've never really understood if it's like everybody that's a cannibal automatically becomes Wendigo, or if it's like it opens the door to be a Wendigo. Okay, so in the supernatural lore... Actually, I think it's Wendigo. Yeah, so in the supernatural lore... Uh, Wendigo was an Indian spirit who turned on his own people. Okay. And... Basically, he he was trapped out in the woods or whatever, and he came across his own people, and he was so hungry that he started to crave human flesh. Right. And then he consumed so much of it that he himself no longer became human. Right. He turned into a monster. Right. Right. And he turned into a Wendigo. And so those that are bitten by a Wendigo start to turn. Like, they start to crave human flesh. And if they give in to those urges they too become right. a Wendigo. Right. So I guess my question is then, is it based on like intent? Because apparently what we're led to believe is a bunch of people in this city got meat from cheaters uh, from that meat factory where the guy stuffed the dude in there. And so they kind of unwittingly became cannibals not knowing. Oh. And then the whole town turned into Wendigos. Hey, I didn't know in Marvel there could be more than one at a time. So that this is new to me. But it's kind of cool. The only thing I'm kind of leery of, though, is I hope they explain somehow that it's, like, due to a spiritual sinner or something. Like, I don't want this, because if there can be more than one Wendigo, I'm fine with that. I don't want there to be, like, a, oh, everybody ever in the Marvel Universe who's ever a cannibal turns into Wendigo, because I think that would be lame. But we'll see, we'll see what the explanation kind of goes down. So I just Googled Wendigo. Uh-huh. And it basically says the Algonquin believed those who indulged in eating human flesh were particularly at risk of becoming a Wendigo. Okay, so it's not automatic in the actual lore anyway. It says the legend appears to be reinforced in the taboo practice of cannibalism. 
basically it was the Algonquin well, it's an old morality mythology. Tale, basically, yeah. Yeah, a balance of nature. Right. So what did you think of the art? I loved it. Yeah, I thought the art was fantastic. Of course I love McGinnis anyway. But yeah, great great combination of the inker and colors as well. What do you think of the of the story of the issue? I think it's interesting. I'm glad this isn't a one and done. Five might Five might be, be much. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'll, yeah. I'll, the jury's still out on that. Yeah, five but. might be a little much, but I'm just glad it's not a one and done because I will say when I got to the end, I was like, oh, oh, it's the <laughs> end. I got to right. wait. Yeah. Well, I mean, I always like Wolverine. I mean, Wolverine's first appearance. He fought the Wendigo and the Hulk. So, I mean, he has a, a long, violent history with, with the myth, with the creature. So that's cool. And it's always been kind of been tied into Canada and Alpha Flight. So that's cool, too. Yeah, overall, I thought the story was good. Um, I don't feel like there's too much of a mystery, but we'll see what they do with it as kind of Wolverine discovers what happened. Right. So, and honestly, Wolverine's always, whenever he's fought Wendigo before, he's always like had his ass kicked to the edge. And really, his healing factor has always saved him. So it will be interesting to see now that he doesn't have his healing factor, and now that he's finding more than one, like, it seems kind of a recipe for disaster. Like, he's really going to have to depend a lot more on the X-Men to help him this time around. So that'll be interesting, too. Yeah. All right. So when are you going to grade Amazing X-Men number eight? I'm going to give this one a six out of six. Really? I, right. I was really impressed with it. Yeah, all right. I'm going to give it five out of six claws. I liked it a lot. Definitely want to see, like I said, kind of all the things we talked about, what happens, where it goes. Really loving the art. I think this writing team, I mean, I, they, they've proven it, that they know what they're doing. Definitely have a, a good potential on this book. So we'll see where it goes. All right, so next up, we're going to have our Avengers Spotlight on Avengers World number seven. Picking up with our... Uh, Flying Madripoor story. Um, this is written by Nick Spencer, art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Andre Mosa, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and the cover is by Mark Brooks. And on the cover, we have Falcon flying in all his post-Cap 2 Winter Soldier glory. We have some circular satellite behind him and a little brown Falcon flying with him. Or I guess it's a little red Falcon or whatever he's got. It's a pretty cool cover, I guess. All right, so when we left off for this story, or this part of this story, is remember Gorgon raised the dragon that the island of Madripoor was resting on its head, and he threw Shang-Chi overboard. But in the city of Madripoor, or in, I guess, the island nation of Madripoor, one of the cities, Wolverine, Black Widow, and Falcon are fighting a riot. And um, Wolverine pops his claws, he says, I've seen riots, but this is just people wanting to die. <laughs> and I got just the claws to die him with. The Falcon uh, flies off. They think everything's out of control. They want to evacuate, but he's going to do some recon and try to find Shang-Chi, but he can't. But he finds a little flying robot head, and he follows it to this big circle fortress in the sky. And he goes on board. <laughs> yes yes it does i like how you talked into your microphone as if it was on oh it was <laughs> when he comes on board and he's greeted by a guy that knows him sam wilson falcon i'm jan jen i really don't know chinese juan jen i don't know and he says the circle is my ship and he introduces sam wilson to spear which is basically the chinese version of shield 
He says that he wants, you know, the Chinese, the China is a world power in all these areas. They want to be a world power in intelligence and with superheroes and stuff like that, too. And he wants Falcon's help. Plus, they have to defeat Gorgon because he's headed for the mainland. He wants an empire and one little island on top of a dragon's head won't be enough. But then there's dragons with hand ninjas flying towards the circle. I really like the way Caselli draws their shoulder pads on the ninjas. They all have like Chinese monster dragon type faces on their shoulder pads. It's really cool. And then we meet the Spears team of superheroes. We have the Weather Witch who looks like she must have Storm's powers. We have Saber who I guess can fly and punch. We have Vector who has electric swords. We have Devastator who's I guess the muscle and he can shoot things out of his hands. Then we have Sun Wukong the monkey king and he looks like a the guy from crouching tiger hidden dragon and they're all known together as the ascendants and uh this guy the leader of spear wants sam to fight with them and show they can be unified and so he does all right so i thought the art was really good by Caselli. I thought the colors were really nice too. So good job to Andre Mosa there. thought the story was pretty cool it was mostly about kind of a spotlight on falcon which you know he's earned it after being kind of the breakout star of the movie. It's nice to see him get a little love in the comics. And I like the idea of, of, you know, I mean, it's very kind of current. But China is a superpower. So it's cool to kind of see them become one in the Marvel Universe as well. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. The guy says, I know people aren't going to trust us. They're going to think we have ulterior motives. But we really just want to, we want to contribute to, to world protection. We want to do our part. We, you know, we're a powerful nation. We should, we should carry our weight. So we'll see if that holds true or not. I don't see why it wouldn't, but it also might be a subplot to make a new enemy. We'll see. But I, I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was pretty cool. So I'm going to give Avengers World number seven, five out of six claws. All right, next up we have Where's Logan? And um, I have a confession. I missed a couple of, well, all right, at least maybe I missed some stuff. So he was on the cover to Original Sins, number one, the Original Sin offshoot, I guess, but he wasn't actually in the book. So I did not cover it. For one, I didn't buy it. <laughs> uh, and also, I found out after the fact that he might be in the latest issue of Mighty Avengers, this original Sin tie-in that's set in the past. I didn't know he was supposedly in it. I haven't been buying that book, so I didn't get it. So I will look next time I go to the comic shop and see if he's actually in it. And if it looks good, I might pick it up. If not, then I'll just tell you now I forgot or didn't realize he was in it. But I do know and did buy he's in Nightcrawler number three which is written by Chris Claremont, art by Todd Nauck, Rochelle Rosenberg is a colorist, VC's Corey Pettit is a letterer, and then Jamie McKelvey with Matthew Wilson did the cover. And on the cover, we have Nightcrawler looking very dapper um, in his red and black suit and a kind of a dull hot pink background, if that makes sense. And um, he's holding a sword in his left hand and with his tail. And the tail is pointed towards you. Yes, and the sword is coming like at you. Like, don't you, don't you sneak up on me, boy? I got your back, literally. Says the tail. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Nightcrawler number one was really good. 
Nightcrawler number two is pretty terrible. So how is number three? So basically we have the Tri-Mega. Oh, and this is called, If at first you don't succeed, try Tri-Mega again. I thought it was a decent little pun. So we have him attacking the circus where Nightcrawler and Amanda went to visit near Yarmart. And uh, they all fight. They fight the circus people, and the Trimagus splits into three. Oh, that must be where his name comes from. The Margali Zardos, uh, Nightcrawler and Amanda's mom, (laughs) adoptive mom of their adoptive boyfriend-girlfriend pairing, um, shows up and casts them all away in a magic spell. Nightcrawler says, this is more than we can handle. We should go get the X-Men to help. Like, okay, but the circus people are like, you know what? I think when y'all leave, these people will leave us alone. They just wanted y'all. And we're just going to stay here and keep being circus people. Nightcrawler's like, okay. And they say, don't be a stranger. So they go back to the school where they're greeted by Storm. He says, you can't bring them here. They're evil. And Nightcrawler basically says, well, whatever. And then he's off on a cliff and he's pondering if he's done the right thing, coming back to life, turning his back on heaven. And here in the most interesting part of the book, him and Wolverine have a conversation over a six-pack. Basically, Wolverine uh, says, and he goes, I can't believe I'm the one saying this, but maybe there's a, a reason you came back. Maybe you didn't turn your back on heaven, but um, higher authority knew you were needed here. And Nightcrawler says, but Logan, I gave up my place in heaven. I was there. Everything I believed in was true. And I walked away, basically. Like, all my faith was, like, substantiated. And he, he, he abandoned it. He gave up his place in heaven. And Wolverine says, so, earn it back. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. And Nightcrawler says, you make it sound so simple. And Wolverine says, what can I say? I'm a simple kind of guy. Here, have some beer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he basically talks about how he used to think he'd live forever and even past forever. But now, you know, he's killable. He's mortal. But it doesn't matter because the X-Men always find a way to win. And we don't question it. We just do what we do. So it doesn't matter why you're here. It just matters that you're here. And they cheers to that. Then it turns out Amanda is a threat. And Margali is a threat. And they're going to do something. (laughs) And Nightcrawler and Wolverine run out to fight. And there's a bunch of robots outside ready to attack the school. And um, so the art, again, amazing. Todd Nwok is really just killing this book. He's the perfect guy to draw Nightcrawler, and all his other art is really good, too. Uh, this story is not great. The part between Wolverine and Nightcrawler having the beer, pretty cool scene. The rest of it's kind of crappy. So I'll give Nightcrawler number three, three out of six claws. It's because it's awesome art, and I love Nightcrawler and Wolverine being best friends again. Oh, besties. BFFs. Anyway, so that's, uh, that's Where's Logan? Okay, so last up, we have our Wolverine Roundup. Yee, doggies. <laughs> we have uh, all new X-Men, number 28, with X-23 and Rays. And we have Magneto, number 5, which barely has Sabretooth in it. Barely. It barely counts, but we'll talk about it real fast. So, all new X-Men, number 28. It's, it's- written... By Brian Michael Bendis. Hmm. Penciler is Stuart Iman. Imanen. Imanen. Inks uh, by Wade Van Grabager. Notice how he took over. <laughs> Colors are by Marte Garcia. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Go ahead. Letters by VCs. Corey Pennant. Woohoo! <laughs> and the cover is by Imanen, Grabager, and Garcia. 
We have a dark Professor X head in the background, and our all-new X-Men in their Voltron uniforms, screaming in pain as their head is being invaded. Yep. It's a pretty cool cover. I really like the way Eminem draws Angel's wings. Yes. His wings look in pain. Yeah. Xavier looks very menacing. They really look like they're in pain, the, the, the kids do. I think it's a pretty cool cover. What do you think? I like it. I like how they look like they're astrally floating. Yes, I do too. So I remember when we left off, the, uh, the future brotherhood, I guess, have come back to try to take out young Jean Grey because they don't like the fact that the, the new X-Men or the all-new X-Men are in our current time. So we start off with years from now, we have an older beast in the future who's kind of grown his horn, and he's still working on his giant chalkboard hanging upside down, but he's kind of gone nuts. And so Professor X, the third or second, or whoever he is, and his half-brother Ray's, who is Wolverine and Mystique's son, they find him, and they talk him out of crazy town. And uh, Xavier even kind of like readjusts his brain a little bit. And they say, uh, there's one thing left to try. So we go back to today. We have a really cool panel of X-23 waking up after Ray's stabbed her and left her for dead in the snow. Wouldn't Ray's be smart enough to know that she can heal? Unless he doesn't know who she is. Oh. But anyway, she stands up and pops her claws in a very cool panel. So we see that Xavier has taken over one of the uh, Cuckoo Sisters and is using her to take over everybody's mind. I don't know why he doesn't just do it directly, but whatever. And then he's attacking Jean on the astral plane. I really like how that panel's colored. Yes, Marte Gracia does a great job coloring the astral plane. A it's all like blue. Yeah. blue. Looks very nice. So then we see a vision of the future, and the Brotherhood talks about why he hates the X-Men, because they soiled his father's name. What does it's, that mean? Well, I don't know. Basically, they, I guess they're ruling the world or something. I don't even really know. Anyway, we get a two-page spread of everybody fighting Jubilee with their electronic uh, Wolverine claws. And we go back to Madripoor years from now, where the Brotherhood has set up shop. And they're talking about how they're going to go back in time. But back, not so far that they undo themselves. Yeah, they're only going to go back to like when Xavier's one... Yeah, and Reyes was just born. Right. And that way, if if they mess up, they, they get to try it over again. Wow, can we just say Mystique's a busy little bee? <laughs> yeah, and they're only a year apart. Yeah. Well, you know, who knows what her mutant physiology allows. Maybe she carries a term in two weeks. I don't know. <laughs> we know she can hide her baby bump. <laughs> Um, anyway, so Xavier tries to get old Cyclops to kill young Jean, and he's about to, but Emma attacks him, and, um, then we go back to Madripoor in the future, and, uh, Reyes gets a letter from himself saying, oh, wait, we already tried to go back in time, and we got our asses kicked. We failed. But I took notes, so now we can try it again with my notes and do it better. We gotta take out young Jean and end the X-Men forever. That's what they're going to do, but then Jean reveals her new power, and Xavier is very surprised. So, did she know she was coming into this and just never told anybody? Jean? Yeah. No, she learned this new, 
She discovered this new power during the trial of Jean Grey, which was a crossover with Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I guess had I read that, I would have... um... You can go back and listen to the episodes. Anybody can go back and listen to the episodes. There's a plug for old episodes. Do we know what old episode it is? Exactly what number? No. But you can look at the show notes and see. Okay. Anyway, basically Jean's new discovered power is a cross between her telepathy and her telekinesis. And basically she can turn people's psychic energy and use it as a force against them, like a physical force in a way. And so takes takes someone else's psyche and kind of beat them with it. (laughs) It's actually kind of cool, if not a little bit hard to understand. I was going to say, when I asked you earlier and you told me, I... Yeah. It twisted my noodle. But I like that Bendis is trying to like combine these powers. Instead of saying, we had this mutant with both, but you can't really use them together. Like here's an, at least right. an attempt at, at making them work together. And I think it, it works pretty well. We'll see where it ends up going, but I'm on board for now. And then we end with our last full page spread with an awesome panel of X-23 about to give uh, Xavier the old double shiv. Yeah, I really like that panel. I do too, except I was trying to figure out if it's in his head or is she really there? I think she's there. She got up and she was mad. She, she would have come back to base. And we see the little where she was ripped in her uniform, where she was stabbed in the stomach. Right. So, and it could be. I think just what I think is happening is Jean, Jean starting to use her new power distracted Xavier. So he doesn't know X-23 is coming. Ah. So, anyway, I thought X-23 looked pretty badass. She does look pretty badass. All right, so all new X-Men number 28. What you going to rate it? Well, I really love the art. Art's fantastic, as always. However. However. It was really hard to follow. Especially when Xavier says, I'm his son. You knew my father. And maybe you knew my father's father. Yeah, I don't. I'm still trying to figure out. Exactly what they're doing with that. Because I'm, I'm almost positive in Battle of the Atom, he was introduced as Xavier's grandson. But then in this newest story, he keeps talking about how he's the son of Charles and Mystique. Right. And so I don't really know what's going on. And I, I was joking with you that maybe it's like a continuity guffaw, and they're kind of joking about it. Like, oh, well, maybe... Maybe you knew my father or my father's father. Ha ha, like, oh, we kind of messed up. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> or maybe there's a story point coming down the road. I don't I don't know. Yeah, it just seemed a little confusing. Right. So I'm going to give it four out of six. I'm going to also give it four out of six claws. So we both gave it four out of six claws. Just real quick, Magneto number five, written by Colin Bunn, art by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta, Colors by Jordi Belair. Letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Woohoo! And the cover is by Declan Shalvey with Jordi Belair. It's a pretty sweet cover. It's uh, basically Magneto's skull in his helmet like in the sky. And there's a girl with a metal leg brace standing on a rooftop with her back to us. And she has orangish red hair. Pretty cool cover. Alright, so basically Magneto. This series so far is red. More like a good TV series. Like, just kind of a, it's a story at a time with a little bit of a slow build right through each quote-unquote episode. So it's, it's read pretty well, really nice pace. This episode basically 
Magnino is approached by this girl. So her name is Briar Rowley, and she basically wants to uh, be Magnino's little sidekick. And her uh, her application, if you will, is that she has uh, full dossiers on the S.H.I.E.L.D. team that has been assigned to hunt him down. And when we get our Sabretooth appearance, she says, I can give you more than just little, like, hate groups or some, you know, anti-mutant blogger. I can give you the perpetrators of the biggest mutant crime of all time, which may be a little bit of an overstatement if you read X-Men. But she says, I know where the Marauders are. And she shows a picture of the Marauders with Sabretooth in the picture. Which would be interesting, because I don't think Sabretooth really runs with that crowd anymore. But, you know, whatever. We'll see how it turns out. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, that's our Sabretooth appearance. So anyway, this series has been pretty good. This felt like kind of a, oh, hey, here's this new character. Like her. (laughs) Um, Facebook friender. Yeah, so it was all right. But I think she could be interesting going forward, maybe. I did think it was interesting. So she got her leg crushed in a terrorist attack. Which will be interesting to see if that turns out to have been a mutant. Ooh. And maybe she has like a secret agenda like she really wants to get, give it to Magneto. I don't know. But anyway, she has a leg brace. And when Magneto first met her and didn't want her around, he started squeezing her brace because it was made out of metal. So I thought that was yeah. interesting. But anyway, um, I'm going to give Magneto number five, four out of six claws. It was, it was not a bad kind of setup issue for, I guess, what will be our next story arc. Okay. So, all right. Well, uh, that's going to be it for Wolverine Roundup. Yee-haw! <laughs> okay, that's going to do it for episode 93. Hope you enjoyed our talk about the movie, our movie talk. Um, movie talk. Our Three Months to Die and some other Wolverine comics. Uh, it's a jam-packed issue, a lot of big stuff. But, alas... It's over. So, please like the Facebook page. Please leave an iTunes review. Please follow us on Twitter at SnickCast. Please email SnickCast at Yahoo.com. And Denise is still training for her marathon. That's right. And how close are you to your goal? I only need $125. Okay. So, if anybody wants to donate, and no one should feel like they have to, but if you want to, there'll be a link in the show notes on the webpage. And that webpage is is snickcast.podbean.com so check it out yeah that's gonna that's gonna do it so until next time hugs and snicks bye, bye.